Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices, Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Gail Rice. Thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you. So I'd like to hear your kind of early memories of the things that developed your interests in health and education and Adventism. So where were you born? Where did you grow up? Mm. Well, I was born at the White Memorial Hospital, where my dad was a Loma Linda University medical, actually an intern, he just finished his medical school. And um, so I I have been a California girl all all my life, uh, with a few exceptions. I uh, grew up, though, in a little town in the middle of California, a little town of Hollister. We had a two-room Um, Adventist school, and um, not the greatest teaching. In fact, with the two-room Adventist school, the the quicker students were always having to teach the younger students, and and I thought, if there's one thing I don't want to be, it's a teacher. Well, back in those days, and that was quite a while ago, um, you could be a nurse or a secretary or a teacher if you were uh, my, if you were a woman. And so um, my dad was a doctor and my mom was a nurse. And actually, every single one of my husband's and my close uh, relatives are either doctors, nurses, or um, university professors. So, so I didn't perceive myself to have a lot of options. I, um, I actually thought I was going to take pre-med and my parents really, uh, insisted that I not take uh, pre-med, uh, but rather pre-nursing when I came to La Sierra University, uh, for college. And, um, so that's what got me started. Um, I, I loved my courses in nursing, and I particularly was enchanted with maternal child nursing. Uh, so I was um, I um, worked in that area and worked there, taught nursing, taught maternal child nursing at the University of Illinois. The first uh, when Rick was doing his four year doctorate at University of Chicago, and um, did labor and delivery labs at Cook County Hospital, which was an amazing experience, as you could imagine. I was the only one on the faculty willing to do that. And uh, in fact, very high risk patients and very uh, tense situations for the students, but but an incredible experience. Um, But that really nailed uh, me down with my love of of learning and higher education and health professional education. So after Rick and I moved back to um, California, I was teaching childbirth classes and, um, and I, um, I just had this hunger for, to learn how to teach more effectively. So I enrolled in um, some classes at La Sierra University and ended up finishing a doctorate in leadership in higher education. Um, I had done my master's in educational psychology before that, and so I, I 
was really excited in taking all of this and applying it to what was being done at the health professional uh, education courses. I, I went from there. Uh, I, I taught for about nine years in the La Sierra School of Education, and then I accepted an offer to go to Loma Linda University, where I was director of faculty development for the whole campus for probably 29 years or so, something like that. I um, I was really fortunate. I was able to do uh, fellowships in medical education, and I did the fellowships at both USC and then at Harvard um, and uh, ended up teaching for both of those institutions. Um, uh, the last, I continue to still teach for them, particularly twice a year at Harvard in Boston. And um, that was quite critical in my development of my sense of what could be done to improve teaching in, in for those professional groups. I, uh, I also um, consulted with uh, several of our Adventist universities, helped them with their faculty development programs, in particular uh, Adventist Health University in Orlando and uh, Andrews University. And um, we kind of got a consortium going with all of the faculty developers uh, at the Adventist schools in, um, in North America. And uh, some of those folk are continuing to do that with um, wonderful results. And in um, particular, we've developed um, some exciting programs that right now are quite unique to Adventist education, like but we're going to we're going to do some more publishing of it. One of the programs has just been incredibly powerful. It's called Formative Dialogues. And that program is a program of peer-to-peer -peer counsel where we observe each other's teaching and then sit down with our notes afterwards and share our ideas about what what was particularly effective, what were the results we observed in the audience that maybe the teacher might not have seen, what are some ideas about how um, a question might have been formulated just a little differently and could have been a little more effective, um, how, um, how the teacher could have used um, the, their body language and where they were in the classroom and how they were projecting their voice and where they were looking and all of these kinds of things that when you're the teacher, you're too busy with your content to notice a lot of that. So we've had some incredible results. And in fact, probably the most incredible experience I had was a two-year stint with a brand new program at Loma Linda where we had five faculty in an orthotics and prosthetics program that was brand new. And we had no one uh, to work in that program who had had any teaching experience. So we um, did, I uh, worked out with the dean uh, some ideas. So we did several kind of cool things. We would meet for lunches, um, brown bags every once in a while. Um, I would do a, a formative dialogue every quarter with each one of them so that we could kind of work on an ongoing basis. I would sanitize their course evaluations so they didn't have to read any co hurtful comments. I could <laughs> kind of share the ideas without the, and try to make it a constructive thing rather than what so many of faculty have experienced in that is that those course evals are painful and not helpful. Any 
Anyway, after two years, the accrediting body came to look at what was going on with um, with that program, which is typically you get a kind of provisional accreditation with a new program in two years you see how you're how you're doing and they they were blown away with the with what was happening there they said you're five years ahead of where we would expect you to be and we are so uh, excited about how you achieve this that we're going to recommend this as a as a new way for any new program to to do so uh, so that was that's been uh, that's really taken off at at, at uh, Adventist Health in um, Advent Health in um, Florida and also at Andrews uh, much better than what we've done with it at Loma Linda. So that was one of the programs we an example of one of the things that we were able to do that kind of affected to some extent all of Adventist um, higher education. Yeah. Well, um, since I've got you here and we're on the topic of education, um, let me ask you a question about your um, perspective on the state of Adventist education right now. You know, there's issues in many institutions of declining enrollment, and there's certainly tensions about uh, the direction of schools. Will they really focus on supporting a, a kind of missional um, service to the denomination, or are they going to, uh, you know, prepare students for professional life um, wherever they land? And since you've really been around and seen um, some of our our leading institutions, what's your, you know, the NAD? I'll add to that is in the middle of a kind of big look at it. Um, I've interviewed. Um, Gordon Beats about that project um, recently, and I just want to get your perspective on your sense of at least the future of Adventist teaching. Where does it need to be? That's a incredibly challenging question. I I know our our ad, our large Adventist hospitals are struggling with. Do we have enough resources within Adventism for? for success, particularly the new Loma Linda, um, which has just exploded, is struggling with um, how much leadership do we need to find from outside of Adventism in order to get the experience to make sure that we're being successful. And I almost am wondering a little bit about that for our, our campuses as well. Loma Linda, we try, we have rules about who can be in leadership. And one of the rules is that they need to be an Adventist. And yet um, we're having to blink our eyes and <laughs> we're having to maybe change some of our ideas about what it means to be an Adventist in order to fill those positions. Um, one of the, I think one of the exciting examples of what we can do is what what we are doing at Loma Linda with our Exceed program. You may have heard of it. Uh, it's a it's a program that's been going for a number of years now. Uh, it started with just inviting the science teachers from the Adventist high schools and colleges in Southern California to a, a summer event at Loma Linda, I think about a week long. And, it, and we brought our faculty together to provide really exciting um, things to teach your students. And um, 
man, it was so powerful and such an impact. And um, now it's grown so much that um, all, not just local people, but people from all over the country and Adventist educators from out of the country are um, part of this. And especially right now, since we're doing it on Zoom, but it has, um, I think it represents what we really have to do in Adventist education. We have got to reach out more to our communities, to our Adventist community, but also to our community at large. And by serving them and showing them what we have, we can market our, our programs because we can't really rely right now on the, the, the feeder schools to give us the tuition that we need to, to be powerful. Um, I'm not an expert at all on uh, what's happening outside of California, but I do see what's happening in some of our campuses where uh, I think what we're going to be seeing is a tremendous uh, increase in exciting online education, which will allow us to expand our base. And uh, perhaps that will be some of our salvation. What's so hard for some of us teachers who've been doing this for a long time is to get the satisfaction in teaching that way um, that we always had. Yeah. So true. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about your your Adventist journey itself. Um, you call yourself a California girl, so you have obviously been influenced by um, thinkers in Adventism around California who have had, um, you know, a focus on on grace and a focus on uh, serving the community, as you just uh, talked about. Did you, were you always uh, kind of, were you always where you're at now or was there movement from the kind of Adventism that you grew up in to uh, where you find yourself today? Well, you know, I'm one of those um, lucky Adventists that grew up um, with a stable, devoted family, um, very, very committed to, to their church. And um, so I never questioned anything. It was always just assume, assumed, um, like my husband, but not to the degree that my husband, uh, but the Adventist family was was my community, my family. My parents never really had a lot of friends at all other than the church. And, um, and so those were, and, and, the, and the people that worked in their office um, all became members of the church. So even their, their professional family became church family. One of the things you, uh, that really uh, latched me into the church was music. I, I studied piano as a very young girl. Uh, I was the only one in the church that could play any piano. You can give you an idea of how small our church was. So I was the church pianist from probably the age of 10 or so um, on. And um, then when I went to Monterey Bay Academy, um, I played a piano for the voice lessons and the choir groups. And um and when I, even when I went to La Sierra University, I played for the choir there. And um, so, so 
music was a big part of worship for me and uh, always has been. Uh, right now, I sing uh, with the Loma Linda University Church Choir, and I sing with a newly formed Sierra Linda Master Chorale. Um, uh, we have, Rick and I have season tickets to the Los Angeles Master Chorale. Uh, we uh, are great lovers of music, high-quality music. Herbert Blomstedt's a very close personal friend of our family as well as um, us personally. Uh, and so we, so music is, is a huge part of worship for us. Um, and uh, part of our ministry is to uh, students in music. So we have, um, we have a lovely apartment in our downstairs of our house that my parents lived with us uh, for 13 years in that um, little apartment. And now uh, the last five years, uh, we've devoted that to worthy students um, who are pretty much studying music, sometimes faculty or short-term kinds of things. Um, so, and, and we've been very involved in uh, fundraising for them too. So, so that's been an exciting part of worship for us. That's great to hear. Um, you know, I have a little bit of insight into your uh, love for music and the um, really, uh, you know, the, the people that you have profiled um, at events, you go out of your way to, get these, uh, you know, young Adventist musicians uh, uh, time in front of a congregation. If you can't uh, bring the people there, you also provide recordings of them so that people can see them. And, uh, you know, was there a moment where you just decided this is going to be um, a ministry for you? Um, did you always, um, did you always, make time in your life for music um, outside of, uh, you know, the academic setting? Well, I don't know. I think that's why Rick married me when he realized that he was going to study ministry and he would need a wife who could play the piano at church. Um, Very practical. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, um, no, I don't, I don't think, uh, I think it was just a kind of a growing thing. When I met Rick, I was um, 17 when I met Rick and uh, he was just a year older. He, uh, his family was really classical music lovers. And I think um, it's kind of nice to meet your spouse when you're that young, because you're very, you're very moldable at that age. So um, from the minute I met him, the music I heard and was immersed in was opera and, um, and great, great music. So, so I, uh, I fell much more in love with, with high quality music at that point um, than I had earlier. I think that was probably a bit of a pivotal time for me yeah you know i was looking over your extensive publication record and noticed that you had worked um on several projects with bailey gillespie and i wanted to talk to you in general just about the that those sort of historic moments where um you know you had adventist scholars studying adventism and helping create a kind of self-awareness for the community. What was that like and, and what was interesting to you during that time? You know, that's a that's an exciting question to think about. 
I, when I was teaching at School of Education, I was involved with Bailey in um, planning the value genesis work. And the part of it that I was given the opportunity to publish and to do some reporting on was the part about warmth in particular. And the article that I wrote for Spectrum uh, some time ago, uh, Have You Hugged Your Kids Today? The, the, um, the data that I discovered was that in our attempt to educate our young people, we often came across as disapproving and negative. And I remember one young woman who wore a very short skirt to, to church one, uh, one day. And when uh, people s- looked at her very disapprovingly, her comment was, I don't have to come back here if, if you don't like the way I look. And, and it really struck me that it was an incredibly, um, na- it was not the message we wanted to be giving our kids, that we really needed to rethink how do we uh, shape behavior and how do we and how do we maybe back off from our need to shape behavior and just love these kids? And, and that kind of was happening about the time Rick was working on the Believing, Behaving, Belonging book um, and all of that. But you know, the most recent thing that has been really exciting for, for Rick and for me both, and we're applying it in different areas of our life, but that is the, uh, the increasing awareness that we've had about the importance in evangelism, in ministry, in teaching, of of creating a loving and encouraging environment without the need to proselytize or educate or anything else, because before we can really do that effectively, before anyone's going to want to come to church with us, they've got to love being with us and love the way they feel when we are with them. Rick's been doing some exciting work uh, and is working on a theology of health, healing, and wholeness right now, where uh, he's, he's being really aware of the fact that our health professionals must do more than just educate about a disease, um, that they must connect with their patients. And I've been um, looking at some of the research in education that says it, it, students are going to learn more from teachers that they think like them. And um, so uh, I wrote a, a little book um, called Hitting Pause. Um, and um, and that's been kind of an exciting um, thing. Um, the idea of the book is essentially that if we, if all if we're doing all the talking, we're doing the learning, not the students. And uh, whoever's doing the talking is doing the learning. And so, if we really want to be effective we've got to find ways to engage our students. And of course, we're hearing this in educational circles all over the the place. What I suggest in the book is that um, by pausing and giving, asking appropriate questions and giving students new ways of looking at things, but giving them opportunities to personalize, to uh, apply to their own experience in their own lives, uh, and it, it happens differently. When you do that at the beginning of learning, you have certain objectives, mainly to get them focused on the learning and not 
all the other things in their lives. Uh, at the end, you again want to pause and get them to look back over what's happened and and maybe make some commitments as to what they're going to do with that and how it's going to be effective and why they value it and that kind of thing. And then if it's a long, if it's more than 20 minutes or so, you better pause along the way to get them back, to get them focused again. Uh, and, and the book has 65 examples at the back um, of beginning pauses, mid pauses, ending pauses, um, creative ways to do that so that uh, so that you're always changing things up and you're keeping it really interesting. And so what the book was about was you don't have to give up your lecture. Uh, you can still do the lecture if you will insert these pauses. Uh, I've, I've had a few opportunities to speak to ministers, and it's really a kick because it's such a new idea to them that um, they've always thought if I uh, I, you know, it's a one-way communication experience. Um, when I do workshops, I, I, I start with a domino game that um, has people sitting back to back with uh, matching trays of dominoes in their lap. And they try to get the person behind them to replicate the pattern they have. And, and when they're doing it one way, just they're doing all the talking, no one else can ask a question or say anything. Um, the results are pretty poor, maybe Three, uh, three out of a 10 kind of score on how act, uh, effective it's been. Uh, but when they can talk back and forth, uh, it, you know, they're eight, nine, 10 out of 10. And as, so it's a wonderful introduction to getting them to actually say, I think I'd like to change my approach to teaching or preaching to somehow or other make it more two-way. Now, how can I do that? So that's been really, really exciting. Um, and um, and I've also been able to to share some of the powerful research and studies that have been done uh, that show how um, learning centers in the brain are affected by, for example, positivity. And um, and so often we'll start a lecture with all the negative stuff. Here's the quiz from last week that you all did poorly on, or, um, or why are you late to class? We know we don't have time for you to be late to class or those kinds of things. And uh, instead of starting with a really upbeat thing, this is going to be a good experience. We're going to have fun. You're going to learn something. This is going to make you more effective as a professional uh, in your profession. So, uh, so that's um, been kind of the direction that uh, all of my learning has, uh, I couldn't believe it. My first year, I taught nursing right after finishing a master's degree. Uh, I had skipped grades in school. So that was back in 1969, 70, I taught. Last year was 2019, 20, it was 50 years wow. later. And um, I decided, you know, I think it is time for me to <laughs> pass the baton on to someone else. Um, but uh, my time does go fast when you're having a good time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so great hearing those helpful tips. And um, I guess I have just one question left here. Uh, for the time that we have. And, and, you know, as you're looking back over that, it sounds like you have um, had a great um, journey thinking about not just the, the 
of teaching, but also thinking about the way that we can help um, use pedagogical methods um, in the way that we're connecting with people. You know, you talked about friendship and how that really was how you thought of Adventism as a group of, of friends. And as you're, you know, looking back over this um, career and this community, I'd love for you to just reflect on um, what it means to you. Well, you know, I think so often we don't realize the, the importance of shared experiences, shared history, shared commitments. Rick and I have been toying with the idea of changing our residence and our way of living now that we're retired to something a little less challenging than what we have right here. And and it all comes down to those those conversations and those communications and those uh, experiences with our our friends. And we are we have many wonderful friends who are beyond the Adventist community. Um, but as you age, you really value those things more and more and more and more. And I think you you um, take them for granted maybe when you're younger, but um, we have so many friends who are moving away from the community that they worshiped with and, uh, and ex- played and worked with and all, all of that uh, to be closer to where their kids are. And often we're hearing them report back that it was a mistake, that they're lonely, their kids don't need them that much, uh, and the kids have their own lives and their own friends. And uh, these these um, grandparents who thought they were going to have a whole active life uh, with that different generation really miss those, you know, those people that they were with before. Not that you can't make new friends, of course, um, but but yeah, the 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 community and um, now we're with Zoom, with with Skype, with phones. Uh, although we're using phones much less, aren't we? With um, Facebook and all those other ways of staying in communication. Maybe that'll change again. But at this point in our lives, we we just feel like the those communities that we are a part of are so very very important. Uh, we're enjoying more and more entertaining and being entertained. We're enjoying more and more. Um, for example, I have French food left from a week ago. And so we just said, well, we have enough retired friends. We don't have to wait for the weekend. Let's just call them up and have them over so we can eat our food up here and squeeze the rest of those oranges. And, you know, um, but uh, yeah, you couldn't do that just everywhere. Um, And of course, having a community with, uh, with, with a wonderful um, church experience, which is a little like a spectrum experience every weekend, the kind of quality of the music that we hear, the kind of, carefully prepared um, 
uh, sermons that we're able to hear. So all of those things make for such a rich uh, experience. And um, I don't think they can be underestimated, really. Well, it was a pleasure talking with you. And I thank you for the contributions that you've made to the Adventist community and beyond. It's been great to see what... Uh, what you've been up to, and to hear your story today. So thank you. Thank you, man. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move.